I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We're talking about the financial waste of holding costs. We're talking about the difference between completions that take three months, four months, and five months coming down to two weeks. We're talking about giving builders certainty, financial stability, and providing an exceptional experience for the customer. So I can't help but be excited about what we can contribute to 2023 to helping driving forward the UK economy. In the forests of southern Nigeria, there grows a shrub, or maybe you'd call it a small tree, Massularia acuminata. The way it is described online, it sounds unremarkable grayish-green bark and white-trimmed pink flowers. Luckily, it doesn't rely on its looks to get by. The stem of the shrub, when cut into thin 10cm pieces, is Nigeria's foremost chewing stick. If, like me, you don't know what that is, a chewing stick is sort of a natural toothbrush-toothpaste combination, often sold by street-side hawkers. And that's exactly how today's guest earned his entrepreneurial stripes, selling chewing sticks on the streets of Lagos while his father was there for work. Welcome to How to Lend Money to Strangers with Brendan LaGrange. Paul Watts, one-time Lagos chewing stick vendor and current founder of Lenuity, the mortgage lender in a box for house builders. Welcome to the show. Now, Paul, I usually ask my guests to describe their career background for one of two reasons. One, it gives us a chance to warm up, just you and me sort of have a little chat before we get into the real meat of the discussion. And two, it can show how both insiders and outsiders can come to a point where they are reshaping an industry. But in your case, I'm asking you because your background is just so interesting. And we do have a lot to cover today, so I'm not going to let you spend the whole interview on it. But I think we probably could. So tell me, you're a fintech founder now, but how did you get here? It's been a lifelong journey of discovery to get here. You mentioned about the chewing stick. Well, often you hear people talking about how they had a paper round, uh, you know, as a teenager or something like that, or or a lemonade stand. Well, at at six years old, I found myself in Lagos. I was brought there by my father with a a contract with an oil company and staying with a local family. And I sold chewing stick by the roadside, car to car in Lagos. It was on consignment. And for me at the time, it's just what kids do. Or if you're in Lagos, it's what kids do. But now looking back on it, it was a, it was a profound experience. I've spent a lot of time in New York. I've, I've been a street vendor in New York as well, been what they consider to be the hustling capital of, of, of the world. For me, it's a sense of pride that I went to Nigeria as someone who had no relationship to the cu- country and learned to hustle on the streets of Lagos. Your career from there took you in many different directions. What were you doing as an adult as you sort of started your career? The, the funny thing is, Brendan, I didn't start as an adult. 
<laughs> so, you know, 13, where really I got into the music business and, and, you know, and I was trying to employ six formers because I felt that as they were older than me, that they'd be more respected, you know, in terms of doing business. I tour I management. I worked with people like Public Enemy, Ice-T, Rhyme Syndicate, A Tribe Called Quest, Queen Latifah. And, and so I, I did tour management in that until I moved on and got into IT. And IT was an, an incredible journey for me with that. I, I worked for Apple in Toronto. I worked for Northern Telecom, which took me all, all, all around the world. And I did infrastructure and internal security escalations for the whole of Asia Pacific. <laughs> right. So escalations from Hong Kong and Singapore and that sort of global exposure and went on to work for Universal Studios based in, in California, which has a direct bearing on where I am today because really got introduced to creative financing, buying my first property and with that Dublin property and that experience in California with, with working with Universal Studios, that got me interested in film. I came back to England and started a post-production company, which I didn't like my customers, which is, is terrible. You know, if you don't like your customers, if you think they have no talent, I, I did what any self-respecting entrepreneur would do. I fired them. So I fired all my customers and my business survived off the income from property I'd bought as a contractor. And this made me think, I think the big thing for me that stuck out is I, I was used to staying in five-star hotels paid for by Universal Studios. And I come back to my place and I'm like, mm -mm. <laughs> you know, this is three-star and I'm used to five-star. <laughs> So I started doing yeah, renovation yeah. work and, and that, that, you know, like bring my up to the standards that I was used to. And that, that started me on a property journey that brought me back to California and into financing again. You're talking about renovating and there is a big section of the economy of people whose jobs are not just to buy a house and rent it out, but to buy some land and develop it or to buy a place and develop it. What is the state of the market for independent home builders today? Right now we, we've been experiencing what many people consider unprecedented turmoil. It's not unprecedented because we went to it in 2007, but just it's just been a, a really frustrating experience for many people across all in, industries right now with the cost of living crisis, the energy crisis. And so if you're outside of that industry, you may not have noticed how house builders of the public limited companies have lost around half of their value, you know, half of their share price. That's painful. And that directly relates to mortgages and the future cost of mortgages, not even today's cost, but the future cost of mortgages. And so investors investing in PLCs that are in the house building trade are saying, well, look, if you look forward, mortgage prices going up, the Bank of England raising interest rates, the customers are going to have trouble buying or not going to be able to buy. And the uncertainty in, the, in, in that market has meant that investors have just pulled their money out from these house builders, which, you know, we're talking about sh shares. All you have to do is click and my money's money's out. Right? And, and that's, that's a painful experience for them. But everybody suffers. Construction, house building is really important to the economy. Financial services are really important to the, to the economy in, in, in the UK. The city drives the UK. So I believe this is everybody's problem. We're really in a circular economy. There isn't one that isn't, right? Goods not being bought, 
homes not being built, people sitting on expensive assets, paying interest for them and not being able to get out. That's just driving the economy into the ground when we want to be rising up. Yeah, so Paul, this is not really my area of expertise, so feel free to educate me. But I'd always naively, I guess, assumed that mortgages would be the sort of last bastion for the big banks, that their low cost of capital would make it almost fintech proof. Because when we're borrowing a mortgage for so much money, you know, we're going to take the cheapest price, no matter how unpleasant and how difficult the process is. But earlier, you were talking about your time in California and, and learning about some of these other creative ways of financing buildings and building projects. It's really useful, really important to have an, a, a clear picture on what the market is. And the first thing is that the idea that mortgages are a bank's thing is it's a recent thing. Because if you go back to Victorian times and even before you had a lot of properties that were actually changed hands with the money went directly to the owner. And you can see that on old property deeds where you see payments recorded on the deed itself to the, to the owner. More recently, it was dominated by building societies and then they were legislative changes that made it more attractive for banks to get involved. And with that, you saw building societies like Abbey National becoming banks. Banks doing mortgages is actually relatively recent. A few months ago, I spoke to Alex Brescia's the author of Lend to Live about private lending in the US. And that's kind of where individuals are helping developers to fund smaller projects or, you know, make up the difference to fully fund a project. But to me, at least my understanding of that from our chat was it's more about flipping one house or, you know, renovating the inside of a house and then selling it for a profit. So maybe a few thousand pounds or a few tens of thousands of pounds, but quite small amounts of money, not a complete build or a complete multi-house build. So what is owner finance and, and what are we thinking about when we, we think of that as an option for, for funding? Owner financing is a massive area and it also goes by multiple names like vendor financing and seller financing. And what you covered there was one small area of owner financing. And why I say it's one small area, for example, first charge mortgages or in the US as they're called liens. So they're a first, a first lien on a property. Last year, 2021, 93,000 loans were done like that, worth $27 billion, right? And you're talking over $100 billion in new originations of whole mortgages, right, over the last five years. So we're talking about a significant amount of money. Uh, what specifically my area of that is, really assets that are owned by somebody, by a company, and them providing the finance to their customer, and this is done without the use of cash. It's done because they own the asset and have little or no debt on the asset. It's a payment plan that they didn't have to fund because there was no debt for them to pay off and the money was going to the owner. And we just make that really simple by doing the contracts and the loan servicing, the management of those processes so that someone can implement best practice and do it painlessly. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There are many types of asset where it's the owner and a potential buyer who see the value and a third party that doesn't or that there isn't high demand for that asset, which means that the asset represents poor security. One of my pet hates with this subject is that people always think of it's about bad credit and it's not about bad credit. Bad credit is a, is a small section of this market and one that I, I just don't dabble in. So right now we're in a situation where a lot of house builders have Switch their focus to overseas investment and they're looking at Chinese buyers. Now, if you think the buying process of three to four months to complete a sale is painful, you try getting Chinese investors coming because they got currency control problems. And, and so, they, you know, when you're talking about that, it just further complicates and lengthens out the completion process. So, you know, five months, six months growing. And in this time, what's most needed is certainty. Everybody wants certainty in, a, in a, a time of chaos. You want certainty. And so if you're targeting Chinese investors, their problem is getting money into the country. So if we offer them a 12 month mortgage, we can complete a 12 month mortgage, 10% deposit, and you can give them like 2% interest rate. Now, the reality of that is you're charging the full price. Providing a product like that, it may cost you the equivalent of well, under 5%. If, if you took a unit that was maybe like half a million, you'd be doing a 10% discount, a 15% discount in, in this times, which is devaluing the other units in the building and making enemies for you out of all your previous buyers. Even if you end up with the property back, you've had that deposit and you're selling on the property again. So for the house builder, it's a win, win, win all the way. Right? For the overseas investor, it's a win, win all the way. I had been sort of sitting there thinking in my head, you know, how's a developer going to afford this? But of course, as you said, it's not financing in the sense you think a bank is like handing over cash. It's more about a payment plan. So they've already paid to to develop a house or to develop some site into multiple houses. So that's their cash outlay. Their cash outlay was the development. And now it's a case of instead of saying, buy my house for you know, half a million pounds, it's buy my house and pay me a given amount per month like you would the mortgage lender, but you're paying it to me, the person who owns the asset, the person who, who built the house. Is that kind of a, the right way of thinking through it? The theory is correct, but it's not how I would apply it. So I think that you have to address the financial circumstances of the individual providing the finance, first of all. In a scenario where you're talking about a small developer's built a house and providing finance, providing a mortgage for a customer, that tends not really to work because they don't have the financial stability to do that kind of thing. So we're kind of split into two niches. One where is when you talk about the development opportunity. So whether you're talking about the piece of land or a commercial building that's being sold to a developer, a developer would normally raise bridging finance for six to 24 months to do this acquisition. It takes 
around six to seven months for that to go through, for them to make that acquisition. And this is a painful process. It's, it's a broken process. If you think about it, when a developer goes to acquire a site, they have to do due diligence on the site. They have to make plans about what they're going to build, what they're going to do with it. They have to cost this out. They have to get cost of materials. And then they have to plan when work is going to start and who's going to do that work. Well, if you do your costing in month one, right, and then it's like, okay, that's taking you some time to do. You've put in the offer. The offer's eventually been accepted. And then you're completing six or seven months down the line. Your costing is totally unrealistic, right? <laughs> it's, it's conjured out the air because so many things have changed since then and availability of labor's changed since then. So when you finally complete, you're not going to be able to start work. And so we have a massive financial waste element here. Right. And this is why we see 80% of SME developers went out of business before Corona. Right. And we just do not have the figures of how many have gone out of business since then. The alternative that I'm talking about here is when the owner of the land says, well, I want certainty. I don't want to wait six, seven months for this sale to complete. I want certainty. And by offering a payment plan to the, the developer, they can gain the benefit of providing bridging. It's they don't have to put up any cash. They'll can complete the sale in 14 days and make around 30% more money with inherently low risk because if they, the developer defaults, they end up with the property back and they've received that deposit. So that's where I'm talking in terms of the SME side of things. But where you were talking about where an end user purchasing a property, I think that's really where enterprise customers with the large house builders win. And we, we, we service that market, much like car manufacturers providing financing for their customers, where traditionally they were waiting on a third party to finance their customers. And that model didn't work. You know, sending somebody away once they've said, yes, I want to buy is a model that doesn't work very well. If you ask somebody who sells sofas, they're like, if we didn't provide finance, we wouldn't have a business. If you ask Boeing regarding selling you a jumbo jet, they're like, if we didn't provide finance, we wouldn't have a business. If you're an investor and you look at somebody's business, that person's business is reliant upon a third party to finance their customers who thinks they're irrelevant. Would you really want to put money into that business? I mean, just the idea that you're reliant upon somebody who considers you irrelevant. <laughs> and that's what's happened. A few months ago, we saw, we've saw we seen a steady erosion of investors pulling their money out of house, house builders or, of the stock exchange because they're, they're saying, well, actually, you know what? Your customers are financed by you know building societies and banks and other lenders who consider you irrelevant. They do not take your business you know, into consideration at any point in the equation. You're not even their customer. Car manufacturers that finance their customers make about 30% of their revenue from finance. You know, skeptical people look at car manufacturers and say, are you in the car business or are you in the finance business? Right? You look at General Motors, who for three years in a row, the only profitable division was finance. You look at General Electric, whose most profitable division, the division that made more money than all the others put together, was GMAC, the mortgage lender. You tend to get this idea that, that, that mortgages are a burden. 
They're not a burden. It's a high profit center. This is additional revenue that brings stability to a house builder. It brings additional income to a house builder. And if you consider something like, you know, how do you, how do they compete with a bank or with a building society? Well, think about this. Can any lender compete with Mercedes in a Mercedes dealership or BMW in a BMW dealership? Can they compete? Who knows their customer better? Does a, a, a bank know a, a mortgage a borrower better than a car manufacturer who spent years designing and building a car for a specific ideal customer or a house builder that had to do their research before they started building? When they were purchasing the land, they're like, okay, this is who we're going to target. They know their customer better. They have much lower risks. As a borrower, it's hanging on the decisions of this third-party lender as well, who doesn't care about your house. You know, they're just looking at that mortgage aspect. So if it can be in that one place, that's also better for the borrower to be able to go and say, well, this is what I want. I want this living arrangement or this commercial property. And I don't then need to explain this to a bank manager. And hopefully I'll get the mortgage or you know, I'll get the loan. Will always be a stressful process, but it should ease it a bit. There's no reason for it to be a stressful process. The why of it being a stressful process is because people have stuck in the industry, have accepted these problems as the way it is. For a house builder who's our customer, who's providing lending to their customer, they can present an amazing offer. We can complete in 14 days, right? They can have the keys in 14 days. Just like if you walked into a car dealership, you know, this is the price of the car. So, you know, this is the price of the house. This is the finance offer we're offering. This is what the deposit is. This is what the interest rate is. This is what the monthly payment is. You know all of that. The process is so streamlined that you could do the application at two in the morning, three in the morning, go through the application, upload your information, book your appointment with your solicitor to complete so at that first appointment, you're going to be bringing your documentation for verification, any complications, any issues. You will get that notification come through that this is the inf additional information that we re require, but it will make it a painless process and it gives you certainty. And, and we're doing that from residential and commercial. Is it the same for, for the big players and the small or what's their best way to engage with you and what does it sort of look like to start that ball rolling? Well, one of, one of the key things why I said about the, the, the smaller developers is the way they currently work is they're not financially stable. And you need to be a financially stable business to be getting into lending. So I, I tend to suggest a guideline of you need to be selling 500 units per annum or more. If you were financially stable and you were doing less, great, doing more than those units, you may still be financially unstable as a company. If, if you're stable, then you can get into providing lending for your customers, providing that personalized mortgage offer for your ideal customer. You can dabble in it with sort of smaller offerings to, to, to fill out the process, you know, like short term lending, commercial sales and stuff like that. But really to be able to implement, you know, the sort of service that Mercedes or BMW deliver, you need to be of a fair size. Yeah, you, you talked there about sort of turning it around in 14 days and taking care of a lot of the uh, the pain in the back end. It's probably worth us spending just a moment here to to revisit some of that ground. When Lenuity is involved, what are you doing for the developer? How dirty are they getting their hands in the financial space 
it depends on the angle you're coming from, right? So we call it mortgage lender in a box, right? But if you're in the fintech space, you would say mortgage lender as a service. And so we're the annuity, our, our strength is in designing lending products, whether it's for an individual unit or it's for a development and offers that they can vary by their own financial position. We want to get these units gone before the end of the month. Most fintechs in the mortgage space, what they're doing is AML. KYC, process your documents faster. That's not what we do, right? That's not our core functionality, right? Our core functionality is product design and we handle the origination. That's all the compliance so that the house builder does not have to worry about becoming an authorized lender. And that's key to make it a profitable but painless. Talk to me a bit about some of the accelerators, some of the good press that Lenuity has been getting. Well, one of the things we've just been talking about is how issuing mortgages was is done by banks. And some people get the idea that, you know, like we're sort of the bank's enemy, right? But no, we're very complimentary. And I've been very fortunate to receive a lot of love from Barclays. I know it sounds funny that, that, you know, receiving love from a bank, but Barclays have been a strong supporter. And for Lunuity for some time, I did the, the Barclays Black Founder Accelerator. Lunuity is part of the Barclays Rise Home of FinTech, which is about building the future of financial services. The, the level of support from, from Barclays has been tremendous. There are some intricate aspects of, of, of things where that relationship has been incredibly useful. The insights that come from working with senior people within the bank with strong, strong support. So if you Google Lenuity, the first thing that used to come up would be Barclays Bank. That used to come up before Lenuity came up. <laughs> And prior to that, I, I did the Founders Institute Accelerator, the Silicon Valley Accelerator by Founders Institute, which is a bit like the equivalent of doing an SAS boot camp for, for, for a startup. Very, very intensive, very competitive, 500 applicants and 13 graduates. <laughs> Graduating from that was, was really good. It gave me really strong connections in Silicon Valley. I still enjoy support from them. I've been really lucky and I'm very grateful for, for the help I've had from, from the Founders Institute. But if I was going to say anybody is being my number one fan, it would have to be Barclays. What is Lenuity looking to do over the next year? Where are you putting your energies? Honestly, I am so excited about 2023. It's just an amazing opportunity for us to contribute. When you, you look at the market and, and uncertainty going on. A lot of people are, are, are scared about what the future is bringing in terms of energy crisis and inflation. And I, I want to focus on is bringing a message of hope. I was at the, the CBI conference and there we had Rishi Sinek speaking. We've had Sir Stammer speaking and they were delivering the same message that tech startups, tech scale-ups with a, with a future that we needed to embrace technology to take us out of the recession. And people may remember that while we were in the depths of corona lockdown and shutdown, the first thing the government did was say, look, we need construction back working because it was that important to the economy. Financial services, people could you know, work from home, but construction, they needed to be out there building to get us back going. So where does Lenuity fit in? Well, 
financial services and construction, the two most important things to get the UK out of a recession. Construction is building wealth for the economy. It's providing homes for people. These are really important things. It's providing jobs. This is an incredibly important thing to drive us out in the recession. And what we're doing is enabling them to thrive in the current environment, to sell like they've never been able to sell before, not even in boom times. When you, if you take a look back at what happened to the car industry when they started financing, financing their customers, it was just a massive boom for them that they could create better offers. Their business became more profitable, that they had a reduction in costs. Now, when you get into house building and construction, this is magnified to bigger reductions in costs, an area of waste that they never even talk about. You know, they talk about waste on the building site. We're talking about the financial waste of holding costs. We're talking about the difference between completions that take three months, four months and five months coming down to two weeks. We're talking about giving them builders certainty, financial stability and providing an exceptional experience for the customer. So. I, I can't help but be excited about what we can contribute. And the fact is, car manufacturers finance 80% of their B2C customers. Imagine if house builders were financing 80% of their B2C customers with a product that costs the customer less and makes the builder more money. Now, if anybody else is also excited now for 2023 and excited about owner financing and, and Lenuity, where can they go to learn more about you, follow your journey and stay in touch? Lenuity is the blending of lending and equity. So come to our website, lenuity.co.uk, and, and that begins your journey. There's some videos on YouTube. You can reach out to me personally on LinkedIn. You know, th th those, are the those are the best places to start. If you're, you know, serious about construction, right, serious about driving for the economy. We, we didn't even get to touch on what we can do in terms of affordable housing, right? Where the shared ownership scheme, like we can just deliver products that are way beyond what, what's, what's possible, which is why I've been getting involved in, 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 for example, the, the SME home builders, all party, all party parliamentary group and, and, and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm getting involved in or being involved in a lot of the industry stuff at, at the very highest levels. You know, it's just so important to move these things forward that it needs to be led from the front, led from, from, from the top. Please, if, if this is important to you, reach out lenuity.co.uk. Perfect. And I'll put those links in the show notes as well. Paul, thank you so much. This has been both a pleasure and very inspiring for me. So thank you for making the time today. And thank you all for listening. Please do look for and follow the show on your favorite podcast platform and share the updates widely on LinkedIn, where lending nerds are found in our largest concentration. Plus, send me a connection request while you're there. This show is written and recorded by myself, Brendan LaGrange, in Brighton, England, and edited by Fina Charlson of FC Productions. Show music is by I Am Wake, and you can find show notes and written transcripts at www.howtolendmoneytostrangers.show or just www.htlmts.show, and I'll see you again next Thursday. Thursday.